Um, spoke about the Levi, dug down the Bible. That was really cool. And we've had some really great guest speakers come out, so I'm really thankful. Today, I'm going to talk about a, con- a, a topic. And it, it's, b- before I tell you the topic, know that it's good spiritually for your diet to hear these kinds of topics. We don't talk about these topics every week, but it's good for your hearts. And my heart is not to... Um, not to guilt you or shame you. That's not, that's not the purpose of these lessons. The purpose of these lessons is to make you aware that God may be calling you to something greater, something more honorable. That's what it is. So please don't take it as guilt or, or I'm trying to get you to do something coerce you. I, I'm not. I want to create in our church. We have already in some aspects, but a creating a culture of generosity. Being a generous person. And the reason why this is, this is such a good topic is, is because God is generous with us. Just take a minute. Like last night I thought about my 25 years as a disciple. I'm going, man, God has been, not just salvation. Not just the fact that I became a disciple. But the fact that I have these relationships and friends and people in my life that love me and care about me. It, it was amazing. And I realized more and more what a generous gift God has given me. He gave me and he gave you, he gave us the church, the fellowship. And last night, the L.A. church said thank you because of, to another church because of their generosity. Yeah. And the Boston Church of Christ, they sold their homes, they sold their cars, they sold stuff to gather enough money to plant a church in Los Angeles. And a few years later, most, some of you in this room became disciples, and so did I. We became disciples. And so last night was like uh, just a big thank you that we recorded to send to the Boston church to, to encourage them. Thank you for your generosity. Yeah. Thank you for your generosity. A guy said to God, is it true that, that, you, that to you a billion years is like a second? And God said, yes. And the guy said, God, is it true that to you a billion dollars is like a penny? And God said, yes. The guy said, God, can I have a penny? <laughs> And God said, sure, just wait a second. <laughs> Whenever you talk about generosity, at some point, we have to talk about money. Uh, Alex, I, I just want to let you know, what, what a fantastic job you did last week. You took a messy story and really made it life practical for all of us. So it was really good. So when we talk about generosity, at some point, we talk about money. And I recognize that it can be a touchy subject. Especially for me. A lot of prayer this week because I'm talking about this. Um, and it isn't just about you and God. It's about also you, God, and you and me. Because I'm supported by the generosity of the church. That's how God set it up. He set up a minister to be supported by members. And that's awesome. But sometimes it's a little awkward. You know what I mean? If I'm, if I'm truly honest. And so I want to talk about this dynamic. And helping create a, a culture of generosity in our church. That we've become... And we still are and, and grow in our generosity. I know some of you are just generous. I know some of us, we don't really think in those terms a lot of times because get, life gets busy and life gets, life gets consuming. And it's hard sometimes to think about generosity at times because we feel like we're just barely making it. You know, like, we're, like, thank God. I'm, just, I just, I'm lucky to have a roof over my head. So as we, we talk about this topic, I just want to give us a little bit of a, a Bible background story on Abraham. And that's going to be the highlight person of the story. And Abraham was one of the guys that God chose from among the people on the earth 
to start a new nation, the nation of Israel. Because if you remember the history of that time, it, was, it went from the Garden of Eden to all the way to the Tower of Babel. And from the Tower of Babel, yeah, God dispersed them into different nations. I'm just going to give you a quick little, little uh, highlight background of the situation. The Tower of Babel, they, they only thought about themselves. They didn't think about others. They, they thought about their name, their glory. Uh, what they could do, what they can accomplish. And God didn't like that. So God came down and he dispersed them and, and, and confused their language and, and broke them up and, and sent them on and, and, and put them into different nations and different geographies. And God assigned to them different spiritual beings to rule over them along with God. But as you know and I know, at the Garden of Eden, there's always spiritual warfare when you read the Bible. And the spiritual warfare was that these, these spiritual beings rose up against God and tried to become his rivals. And so that's why you have different nations when you read the Bible. They have different gods. And so these rival spiritual beings caused a lot of problems. And so God took from the Tower of Babel, from the rebellion, he took from them and he calls a man named Abram. And that's where we're going to pick up our story is that God calls Abram. Because God wanted to choose and create his nation with his people. And so the, all the rest of the nations would be blessed because of Abraham. And most of you guys know that story. Again, this is the Psalm 82. If you go back on your quiet time and read it, you'll see the, the, how the, the rivals rose up against God. And God is judging them and discipling them and, and really um, upset with them because of what they did. So let's get into the text of uh, Genesis chapter 14. That's the run-up. So that's kind of happened in the Bible, the Garden of Eden, to the Tower of Babel, to the dispersion, to God's calls Abram. And, and he calls Abram, and Abram goes, I accept, I'll be, I'll be it. So in this chapter, it highlights Abraham's story. At the time when Amphrael was the king of Shinar, Ariak, king of Elisar, Kedileamar, king of Elam, and the title king of Goyim, these kings went to war against Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, Shinabar, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. All these latter kings joined forces in the valley of Siddam, that is the Dead Sea Valley. For 12 years, they had been subject to Kedilimar, but in the 13th year, they rebelled. In the 14th year, Kedileamar and the kings allied with him went out and defeated the Rephaites in Ashtaroth, Karnaim, the Zuzites in Ham, the Emites in Sheba, Kiriathim, and the Horites in the hill country of Seir, as far as El Paranir, the desert. Then they turned back and went to Enmishpat, that is Kadesh, and they conquered the whole territory of the Amalekites, as well as the Amorites who were living in uh, Hezazon Tamar, in Genesis 14, verse 5. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, and the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zor, marched out and drew up their battle lines in the valley of Siddam against Kedileomar, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goyim, Amphrael, king of Shinar, and Ariak, king of Elisar. Four kings against five. Now the valley of Siddam was full of tar pits, and when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of their men fell into them, and the rest fled into the hills. The four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food, they went away. They also carried off Abram's nephew, Lot, and his possessions since he was living in Sodom in, uh, near Gomorrah. 
It's a lot going on. When I read that, I'm going, dude, I need a map. Okay, because that's why I got a map for you. Because if you don't, if you don't have a map to that, that's just confusing. So there are these five kings up there. Are these four kings up there? See them? One, two, three, four. They're living up there in this area, and the the, the, the kings down below in the green. You see the little green speck right, right there, little green speck. Those are the five kings, and those four kings. Rule over those five kings. And those five kings pay the four kings money. You pay me money, so I'll let you live. It's like mafia money. I'm here to protect you. I'm here to look out for you. But if you don't pay my money, I'm going to invade you. So one, one day, these kings got together and said, we are tired of paying money. We are tired of giving homage. We're just tired of it. So what do they do? We're not going to pay we served for 12 years. That's it. No more. I'm done doing this. I'm done. And so in the 13th year, these city-states, Sodom, Gomorrah, Admar, Zeboim, and Zoar, decided not to contribute anymore to the kings. And they rebelled. So the four kings didn't like that. We want our money. So the four kings destroyed on the way down to, 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 to fight these other four king, uh, five kings. On the way down, they destroyed seven cities before they had war with the five kings in the valley of Sinai. Just the fact, now the reason why they do it is psychological warfare. You know, word gets out. They're destroying villages, destroying cities before they get to you. It's like, you know, when, when, if, you live in, if you live in the Florida, it's category five. It's coming. It's, it's psychologically terrifying because it's coming and you know it's coming. And here they come. And the kings came and they made war with the five kings in the valley. So the kings of the east made war with the kings of the valley of Siddam. They conquered these seven city-states and they gained a tactical advantage. This is a, this is, I know this is, about, this is more than just about these international events that are happening. It's also about people. And our focus here is people. There you have Abram, Abraham, and Lot. In this case, Abram and Lot's relationship. Abram had a, had, a, had a brother, and they had a dad. And Lot's dad, Abraham's brother, died. And then Abraham's dad, Lot's grandfather, he died. And so Abraham took care of Lot. And says, come with me, you'll be part of my family. And so to, to Abraham, Lot's family. And so they lived together. And the reason why Lot ended up over there was because they, they got blessed so much by God that their farmers and their shepherds started arguing with each other. So Abraham goes, hey man, since there's fighting with our people, why don't you pick where you want to, you know, you know, where you want to graze and where you want to live? And so Lot decides to live near the Valley of Siddam, or Sodom. And we, when you hear that word, we already know what's going to happen. But he was like, hey, it's a great place. I'm not, there's, there's no reputation of you know, Sodom. And, he's like, it's a great place. And the Bible says, it looked lush and it looked good. So in Lot's mind, it's like, this is a pretty good financial situation here. It's a lot of lush, a lot of green, a lot of grass for my, for my cattle, for my farms. This is great. And Abram gave Lot the first dips, and he chose that area. 
Now, Sodom means burning. That's what it means. And it's King Bera, that his name is King Bera. His name means son of evil. Now, I don't know if Lot knew that before he got there or afterwards he realized. Maybe when he got there, he's like, hey, life is too good. Hey, son of evil, okay, but life is good. And life was good. You know, I I don't know what what was going on in Lot's mind. I don't know if he was spoiled. I I don't know if he was troubled. I I don't know. Um, For whatever reason, bad decisions produce usually bad results. And, and, And good decisions produce good results. So the question for you to think about is, are you making good decisions or are you making bad decisions? Because Lot lots saw that was well watered, it was lush, even though it was pleasing, life in that area had consequences. It reminds me a lot about, about Eve when she saw the fruit on the tree. You know, Lot saw this area was, was lush, was pleasant to the eye, was amazing. He went there and it went bad. Eve saw the apple or the, or the fruit was pleasing to the eye would give her wisdom. I, saw, I see some parallels there in Lot's choice. So that was Lot's decision. So let's continue on. A man who had escaped them and reported this to Abram the Hebrew. Now Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre the Amorite, a brother of Eshkeland, Anir. All of them were allied with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought his relative Lot and his possessions back, together with women and the other people. This is the first time the word Abram was called a Hebrew. Wonder, why did they call him the Hebrew? And then I thought of a corny little joke. Maybe they saw the way he drank his coffee. <laughs> he brews it, right? And coffee more. Coffee. I'm here on Thursdays. I'm here on Thursdays. Abram, Abram didn't have to do this. Abram didn't have to go, go up against a professional army. Because that's what those guys were. They were professionals. But he cared so much about Lot. Why is this story in the Bible? Why, why does God highlight Abraham's life? Because it's through Abraham's faith that God will make a nation that we will want, we are a part of today. It's the nation of Abraham, his faith connected with Jesus. That's why Paul always argues with Abraham about faith because it was before the law. This is all before anything was written. That's why it's such a good, compelling story. And Paul always cites Abraham as an example of our faith. He didn't have to do it, but he does it. Because God, and God makes his promise. Now, he's going up against a professional army. He has 318 men that he's, he's trained. Think of 300, the movie. Okay, first picture 300. You see Sparta? They have long hair. They're, they're, they're crimson robes, right? They're chiseled, Okay. And they, they walk out to the area and they meet up with the, with the other crew. And the other crew is like, hey, you didn't bring enough men. And he asked the crew, that guy, what do you do for a living? The guy's like, I'm a potter. What do you do for a living? I'm a blacksmith. What do you do? I'm a sculptor. And they were the Athenians. Think the Athenians when you think of Abraham's household. People that had lives, they had jobs, 
They had professions, but being a soldier wasn't one of them. They were just, they were kind of like militiamen. If something went down, okay, I know how to handle the spirit. We can do some, some, do some fighting. This wasn't just their profession every day. He had a farm. He had a harvest. The Athenians. I laugh when I think about that picture. Because even though they were potters, even though they were blacksmiths, even though they were sculptors, they were willing to get their hands in the fight. And that's Abraham. He didn't have to do it. And God generously gives Abraham victory. He, it says he routed them and pursued them. What an amazing account. And when after Abraham returned from defeating Kedileamar, I mean, an outstanding general, an outstanding military man, and the king's allied with him, taking, taking Sodom, I'm sorry, uh, the king's allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shiva, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemy into your hands. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Both Melchizedek and Abram understood God had rescued both Abraham and Lot. Lot is rescued and becomes the father of the Moabites. Why is that important? Because they were like the cousins to the Israelites. In fact, one Moabite in particular is in the genealogy of Jesus. And her name is Ruth. And she marries Boaz, King David's granddad. And Jesus is born from the line of David. So it's pretty, he's a pretty important figure in the Old Testament. So we need some pictures to explain what's happening here. That's why I, I learned geography. So here they are. The kings came down and went back. And Abraham pursues them with his trained servants. Born in his household. And they went after him. They invited him to attack that night. They were organized. And they did an amazing job. And God blessed their bravery. God blessed their courage. Again, he didn't have to do this. I mean, he could have been like, well, I tried to tell you, young lad. I tried to help him. He's just being a little prideful. Didn't want to listen. He could have said, he could have made any reason not to go. But he doesn't. Because to Abraham, Lot was family. And when you're family, you'll risk things for family. You'll go above and beyond for family. So Abraham brought down, he brought back all the goods and the people, and he brought Lot back. What an amazing account. This is a good little map to give you a little picture of what's going on there. And then Melchizedek comes out, comes into the picture, this mysterious guy. The only other time Melchizedek's in the Bible is in Psalm 110 and Hebrews chapter 7. If you want to do a Bible study, look at those two and have a great little time with Melchizedek because he plays a deeper role into the story that I can't get into. But Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and he's a priest of the Most High God. What? I thought Abraham called, God called Abraham, and then this guy comes out of, what? Interesting Bible study. And Abraham gives this guy, Melchizedek, a tenth 
of everything. This is the first recorded example of tithing. The 10%, which it means. It's not of his salary, but of everything. Of all the spoils. Why did Abram do it? Was it to keep the lights on at Mel's church? Was it to hire an intern? Was it, was it to leave a legacy? Was it commanded? Or was it maybe it was good policy? Those could be all be important reasons. I'm not knocking them. But I believe Abram gave because he recognized that his victory wouldn't have been possible without God's help. More importantly, I think Abram got Lot back. And to me, generosity is not an issue of what or how much. It's an issue of why and because of who. Because that's where, that's where it has to start. Why do I do it? And because of, because of who do I do it for? The deeper parts of your heart. The question is, what is going to be your why? And, and who's your because of? Now, I'm going to hand this out. And if you're new to our church, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. The graphics are super awesome. If you've been here 20 years right now, you're a little scared. I'm handing out a, a, a card. It's called a pledge card. But let me explain my pledge card. This is not for me. I'll never see this card again. This card is for you. This card is for you to figure out your why and your because of who. I'll never see this card. Because what I'm teaching you is between you and God our Father. Because that's where generosity stems from. Generosity does not stem from having, hearing a great lesson. It stems from your relationship with God and the recognition of his generosity. Abram had a, he had a, he had a, 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 a who and a why. And I'm asking you to write down your why and your who. Why? Now, don't do it right now. I mean, I want you to listen to the rest of the lesson, of course. But when you get home tonight or tomorrow, think about that. I want to put it on, on, on your heart to think about that and consider that as we go forward. Does that make sense? Yeah. No one feels threatened yet or anything? Coursed? Okay, good. I'm, I'm doing a good job. Now let's talk about um, this passage here. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, with raised hand, I have sworn an oath to the Lord God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belonged to the men who went with me to Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre. Let them have their share. So the king comes out to meet, you know, comes from Sodom all the way, crosses the little river there. He goes, oh, hey, I'm offering to pay Abram for rescuing his people too. And Abram refuses. The question is why? He doesn't want anyone else to get credits for what God has done in his life. He doesn't want anyone else to have credit, only for God to have the credit. 
And at the end of the day, whether we become a self-supporting church this year, next year, or never, whatever the results of our generosity, God's going to get the credit. Does that make sense? Make sense? Do you feel better about the card now? It's for you. It's not for me. In the New Testament, Paul accentuates this concept of generosity. That, you know, that we don't get faked out. We don't get faked out by having things and, and, and having a great job and, and earning an income. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Isn't that awesome? Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. So we may take hold of life that is truly life. I learned two things last week in Alex's sermon. I learned one. I didn't learn this, but he, he acknowledged what I understood publicly. But I, I came away. It hit me like, boom. Number one, we are family. That's the church. It's family. Number two, our life should be different than the rest of the world. Right? Those are two things. I was like, oh, that's pretty good. Now, at the end of my sermon, I was like, I put that in there. I'm going, hey, that was pretty good. I'm, I'm going to throw this in, in the sermon. Because I believe in this category. How can we not have different values when it comes to giving to God's kingdom? Right? The world doesn't think about God's kingdom. They're not looking out for God and his kingdom and, 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 and planning churches and having churches. And having, they're not thinking about that. We got to think about that. Why do we do that? Because we have different values. We have different value systems. So when, I think, when you think about generosity, think about your values. Maybe you, got, maybe you had like a temporary job and you went to a full-time job and you haven't been thinking about giving. You, and it didn't cross your mind. You were like, oh, I just moved on. But maybe this lesson reminds you. Maybe you decided to take a personal break from giving because you were in a tough situation. Maybe this lesson reminds you, wait a minute, I'm going to get back to being generous. Maybe you got a raise and you haven't thought about You've been getting raises for the last three years and haven't thought about Be more generous. Maybe this lesson helps you. Whatever it is, I hope, hope it gets you to think about laying up treasures for yourself as a firm foundation. Because last night reminded me about how amazing God's kingdom is. How amazing it is. And it got there because of people like you and me who have different values, who are family, that think about being generous so we can get the work of God done in our communities. Isn't it amazing to think about the church in Los Angeles being here 30 years? Saw some great people up there. I did not realize this. I forgot this until I was reminded yesterday that Reese Neal not only was in Ventura County, but he also was part of the, emission, the original mission planting. That was crazy. That was awesome. And it was amazing. He's actually going to be here in a few weeks to preach. Because, you know, he's part of our family too. So, creating a culture of generosity. I hope that you feel encouraged and, and, and I hope I provoke your thinking into going, hey, am I a generous person? Here's a good litmus test. If, you, if, you, if you're a budget guy in our family, we, I have to review my budget every month because you know, if you have one budget in January, life in June is chaotic. Like, it's, a, it's a different life. 
I mean, I don't know about you, but this guy comes knocking on my door. His name is Murphy. I hate the guy. I don't want to see the guy. But Murphy always shows up. So whenever I think, oh, I got an extra money, Murphy goes, your dishwasher's broken. Whenever I got extra money, it's like, yeah, racking ping issues, you're leaking oil. Every time I got, I'm like, I got some money, I'm gonna do what I want. Murphy just, hey, what's going on, Bubba? I haven't seen him. He's got, he's got some drinks in his hand, he comes on without asking, and sits down in my house. I'm like, what are you doing here, bro? And I realize, no matter what, he's gonna come. And if I mark my generosity based on an unwelcome guest, you know what? I'll never be generous. Because he's always going to show up. A lot of times he listens to, he listens to the hall down, down the room. Hey, I need some money. What's up, Murphy? If I live my life that way, I'll prevent myself from being generous. Because the guy always shows up. With, it's like clockwork. I fix one thing, something else is broken. Yep. It's like never-ending. So I hope today was painless but thought-provoking on creating a culture of generosity in our church. Let's pray and we'll close out our service together. Father in heaven, thanks so much for being an incredibly generous God with us. Thank you for Abram, his faith, his example. Uh, even just before there was any laws, there was any talk about tithing. It's, he, was, he just thought about just giving. And God, uh, help us to have that heart, God. Help us to think about our generosity. Help us to think about um, what we can do. Uh, help us to, just to think about your kingdom. And I just really pray, God, that um, we'll continue to grow as a family. I pray for all those in the Bible. I pray for a special prayer for Jake Burns.
Okay. It's so good, bro.